Evidence for Faith. Uh, this is the show where we help Christians become thinkers and thinkers become Christians. If you'd like to call in, we're doing an interview today that's going to last for about 20 minutes, but you can call in right after that at 609-398-1020. If you want to email the show, evidenceforfaith at gmail.com. That's evidence, the number four, faith, gmail.com. I'm Keith Kendricks. And hi, I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis. Mike, who are, who are we interviewing today? Well, Keith, I have to tell you that I haven't been this excited about uh, doing a show since uh, we did this interview on Tuesday. Um, we, we actually interviewed John Sanford, uh, Ph.D. Dr. Sanford is a uh, Cornell University professor uh, for nearly 29 years now, and um, um, he's a genetics expert. Uh, he got his uh, Ph.D. Uh, in plant uh, genetics uh, at the University of uh, Wisconsin and was pretty much at Cornell uh, for his entire academic uh, um, career. Mm-hmm. And today he's going to be talking about uh, evolution and the impossibility that evolution actually ever happened from a genetics perspective. Um, he is an expert on uh, theoretical limits of mutation and the selection process and uh, uh, is a creator of uh, genetic transformation technologies, including the biolistic gun or the genetic gun, whereby uh, various uh, uh, plant breeds can be uh, changed uh, for the better. Um, in fact, most of the uh, uh, world's trans- transgenic crop acreage was transformed by this biolistic process. An amazing guy. So here's the interview that we did this Tuesday. We have with us on the line... Dr. John Sanford, he is a professor of genetics from Cornell University and the author of a book, Genetic Entropy and the Mystery of the Genome. Welcome to Evidence for Faith, Dr. Sanford. Thank you very much. John, we wanted to thank you uh, for um, agreeing to uh, this interview and uh, we're hoping that uh, by way of uh, this interview that we'll be able to uh, help uh, to promote the concepts that you bring up in your book and allow um, thinkers uh, to be on to become Christians and Christians to become thinkers, um, uh, and using your, your book as a, a tool to help them bridge that gap. We'd like to start off by just asking you, what is genetic entropy, and why did you write your book? All right. Um, I wrote my book because um, for most of my life, I was an evolutionist and an atheist, and um, when I became a Christian for a long time, I really didn't want to deal with my own profession, that is, issues surrounding genetics. And uh, I didn't want to deal with the issue of evolution. And at some point, I, I realized that I really needed to. And when I did that, um, I, I had to re-examine my own field. And um, as I began to re-examine my own field, I realized that there were some things, um, some fundamental aspects about genetics that I'd really taken for granted, that I'd never really critically examined. And one of those aspects is the problem of uh, reverse, reverse evolution, basically. That is, mutations are overwhelmingly deleterious, and they're flowing into the population at a high rate. That's uh, widely accepted among all geneticists. And the question is, um, given all this damage, uh, how is it that genomes don't actually degenerate over time rather than evolve? And so that's, that's what uh, 
um, stimulated my research. Uh, I spent um, many years, beginning in, in about the year 2000, examining this issue, and um, I came to the realization that the widely held belief that mutations plus selection causes evolution and, and biological advance is basically uh, indefensible. There's just, uh, there are huge problems with that basic concept. And I also learned as I studied the literature more carefully that the leading experts in the area, these would be called population geneticists, have recognized that the, basically the, um, the mutation selection explanation for life doesn't work. They've understood that for decades, but they've kind of kept it quiet. It's been something of a trade secret. And uh, for that reason, I felt it was important to publish this and to make it available to the public. Uh, Dr. Sanford, uh, a question along those lines uh, is this. <clears throat> is, there a, <clears throat> excuse me, is there any genetic evidence that the evolutionary tree proposed by modern scientists goes from the simplest and most lowly forms of life and then progressively gains more genetic information by way of good mutations leading to highly complex life forms capable of sex sexual reproduction, or is it more plausible, as the Bible states, a complex life was created in the first place, in the most perfect state, and with time and genetic mutations that, with entropy, that life devolved into a lower state with loss of genetic information and function? So, um, the basic question is, um, where does the evidence lead? And um, the evidence leads you uh, basically depending upon what, you, what your assumptions are to begin with. So your presuppositions greatly influence how you see the evidence. So when I was an evolutionist, um, I saw the evidence through the glasses of an evolutionist, through the eyes of an evolutionist, through the eyes of Charles Darwin. And it seemed to me the evidence clearly pointed to the ascent of life from primitive life forms up to man. Um, when I took a skeptical point of view in that regard, I started to realize that the, the profound unreasonableness of that explanation, uh, and I, I um, realized that there's, there's simply no way that, number one, that type of innovation that's required could happen through random mutations and natural selection. And number two, there's actually no way to stop these systems from degenerating. So the title of my book, Genetic Entropy, uh, focuses on the, on the fact that mutations destroy information. They're just like misspellings in a textbook. And um, the, more, the more mutation, the more degeneration. So that as you go deeper through time, all genomes must degenerate. And so that's really the opposite, that's really the opposite um, concept from what is conventionally taught. And yet the evidence for genetic entropy is very strong. All right. Could, well, could this, uh, this decay that you're talking about, um, could this just be some kind of temporary thing that we're observing now that's perhaps caused by uh, environmental damage or something along those lines? So uh, the, the problem of mutation is ubiquitous. That is, 
all living systems experience mutation. And um, there's uh, all evidence is that mutation has been going on for a long time. And so even it, it's conceivable that mutation rates could be slightly higher today because of environmental effects. But um, the basic mutation rate uh, is due to fundamental aspects of, of, of the real world, like natural radiation, like natural chemicals, and like the natural errors that occur in any, any um, reproductive system. Basically, when you, when you replicate DNA, there are typographical errors which are unavoidable. And so the mutation problem is universal and uh, is fundamental to all life. This is not a new or recent phenomenon. How many mutations are we passing along uh, to our offspring with each generation? So the human mutation rate is uh, amazingly high. It's it's alarmingly high. Uh, when I was, um, you know, in the 1950s, when I was still just a boy, uh, one of the most famous geneticists at that time Muller stated that if the human mutation rate was as high as one mutation per person per generation, that it would doom the human race to eventual extinction. Um, we now know that the human mutation rate is 100, at least 100 mutations per person per generation. So that's just an amazingly high error rate. So um, what it means is that each one of us has, on average, at least 100 new mutations that our parents couldn't have, and that our parents have at least 100 new mutations that our grandparents had. And so, basically, there's 100 new mutations per person per generation added every generation. That's absolutely astounding, and um, uh, it has caused uh, genetic theorists to have to rethink their understanding of how this could be possible. And, and won't um, natural selection, won't it weed out these bad mutations over time? So natural selection, uh, a lot of people don't really understand what natural selection involves. Natural selection means that, that certain individuals must not reproduce. Uh, as you try to get rid of more and more mutations, you need to eliminate more and more individuals from the population. Uh, if you start to eliminate too many people from the population, in terms of preventing them from reproducing, there won't be enough children in the next generation um, to preserve the population. The population will start to shrink and will actually go to extinction. So you need at least two children per female to survive to perpetuate the species. So at maximum, you can select away only the surplus population. And um, so that greatly limits how much you can select away. And as mutation rate goes higher and higher, uh, the cost of eliminating those selections becomes impossibly high. So let me just give you an illustration. Uh, a prominent geneticist, uh, Kimura, did calculations and said uh, that um, to eliminate all the mutations that are happening through selection, uh, every 
every female would have to have uh, millions of children in order to eliminate all the, all the surplus children to get rid of all the mutations flooding into the population. Let me draw an analogy. Um, try to picture a person in a boat, and the boat is leaking. All, all throughout the bottom of the boat are small holes, and it's leaking. Uh, and so they're trying to bail as fast as it leaks. You can see that if at some point the water will be flowing into the boat too fast for the bailing process to rescue the, the person in the boat, and that boat is going to sink. And it's the same way with genetic populations. When mutations are pouring into the population at a rate that is too high, then natural selection cannot eliminate them as fast as they're uh, entering the population. And that's basically what we have today is uh, we have too many mutations for natural selection to eliminate them by a factor of almost a hundredfold. It's not even close. Uh, along those lines, uh, Dr. Sanford, do you foresee, let's say, 100 years down the road, um, the technological advances in science and, and medicine being able to genetically reprogram and re-engineer the human genome to avert this disaster? So there's over 3 billion nucleotides in the human genome. And so um, they're, they're, each one of us carry tons of thousands of mutations. Uh, per person, and so uh, basically every single nucleotide in the human genome, somewhere in the human population, every single position in the genome has mutated, every letter. So you're talking about the type of decay that's very um, diffuse, and so it's not like we can just go in and pinpoint a mutation and get rid of it. Rather, it's more like the rusting of a car, where atoms throughout the car are being oxidized and rusting. And that process is so diffuse that there's no way to um, fix it one atom at a time. We are talking with uh, Professor John Sanford, uh, from, uh, formerly from Cornell University and author of Genetic Entropy. Um, Dr. Sanford, how many of these mutations, uh, how many are bad and, and, and how many good? What's the ratio of bad mutations to good mutations? Okay. So, actually, we need three categories. We need good, bad, and neutral. And um, let me first discuss the neutrals. Um, for many decades, uh, geneticists have said that a large part of the human genome is just junk DNA. And so, uh, if there are mutations within the junk DNA, they don't matter. So, basically, um, they would say that mutations in the junk DNA are neutral. They don't, they're neither good nor bad. Uh, and so typically they would say, well, um, most of the mutations, let's say 95% of all the mutations that happen in the human genome are harmless because they're within the junk DNA. And so um, what's happened in the last uh, decade is evidence has been increasingly showing us that most of the genome is functional. And most dramatically, two, years, two summers ago, um, the phase two of the Human Genome Project, called the ENCODE Project, showed that um, the vast majority of the, of the human genome is functional, which means uh, if you have functional information and you start to make random changes in that, then overwhelmingly most of those changes will be deleterious. And so uh, 
only a small fraction of the genome is truly neutral. Most, most genetic changes have some effect, although mostly very small effects, but always some effect. And of the mutations that have an effect, overwhelmingly they are deleterious. And the best way to understand that is to think of misspellings in a text. We have to understand the genome is information, it is a coded message, it's written in a language, and it is very specific. The reason it specifies life is because each nucleotide is there for a reason and has to be exactly the right nucleotide in the right position. So any type of random word processing errors that occur in that message is going to destroy, is going to diminish the message. And even though it's conceivable that you could have a misspelling in a text that would improve the message, it's exceedingly rare. So most scientists, if you ask them how common are beneficial mutations, their answer it would be, we don't know. They're so rare we can't measure them. They're so rare that we can't really put a number to them. And that's, and that's, um, that's really important to understand, is mutations are overwhelmingly bad. Along those lines, uh, Doctor, I wanted to ask you a question just from a medical perspective, and it has to do with these good genetic mutations that are so rare. Um, the question I have really is, do any expressed genetic mutations in medicine uh, cause good change, or do these typically cause disease, deformity, and death? And two specifically that I have in mind, and, and I've argued this point with, with many of my colleagues, um, are G6PD deficiency and sickle cell anemia. Uh, it's been argued with me that those are examples of good mutations and evolution, uh, but I've argued that these cause disease, death, and deformity. Uh, but it's like you said, depending on the glasses that you're wearing and the, and the worldview that you hold dictates how you answer this question. Yes. So the, it, it's striking to me how, how, how much difficulty the have in finding examples of truly uh, beneficial mutations, mutations that actually add information to the genome. So the most famous example of a beneficial mutation in man would be uh, resistance to malaria. And that uh, resistance to malaria can be found in, in humans that have experienced a mutation uh, in either in, in genes that affect the red blood cells. And the most common mutation is the one you mentioned, the uh, G6PD mutation, uh, mutation in that enzyme. And the idea is, well, look, here's a mutation, and it actually makes people resistant to an important disease. Isn't that clearly a beneficial mutation? The problem is that that, mutation actually damages the, the efficacy of a, that actually causes a loss of information in the, in the coding sequence that codes for an essential protein. So the, the resistance to malaria comes at a cost, and the cost is that a fundamental biological function is impaired. So the people who carry this disease are subject to anemia, that is, they don't have enough red blood cells, so they tend to not get enough oxygen to their body. And so the, the beneficial trait is only a very 
limited benefit. It only applies to certain people who might be exposed to a certain disease. But the damage is unequivocal. It's damaging a basic metabolic process in a basic cellular type that we, we need to, to live. And so um, I assure you that if you had your choice of being mutant or non-mutant for this gene, you would want to be non-mutant. Okay, Dr. Sanford, we thank you for being with us for this first segment, and uh, we are going to continue this interview next week. You're listening to Evidence for Faith uh, on WIBG. If you'd like to call in, you can call us at 609-398-1020. Mike, that was a terrific interview. Well, it gets better, Keith, uh, as you folks will hear next week uh, when you tune in. Um, uh, Dr. Sanford is um, a big shot uh, uh, in genetics, and um, um, he actually was very fearful about publishing his uh, his information because this goes countercurrent to what uh, university professors are teaching graduate students, researchers, as well as uh, undergraduate students. Uh, and basically, he's bucking the tide um, by saying that the uh, primary axiom of evolution is based on a falsehood, and that's based on recent uh, genetic research. Yep. So this book that he's published is called Genetic Entropy and the Mystery of the Genome, uh, Dr. John Sanford again. So you can get that on Amazon. Uh, it's an excellent read. Uh, very good. It's uh, it's scientific based, so you you know it's for high school, college level, um, definitely. Uh, well, well, the the book itself is an easy read. I think that if uh, if you're if you're a good reader and an avid reader, you don't have to have a college uh, education to read this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gives a lot of excellent excellent examples and analogies uh, that allow you to uh, walk through the complexity of the human genome. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I think that anybody who is interested in this controversy that continues to to go on between uh, creationists versus evolutionists, this this is a very very high powered uh, canon right. uh, for the uh, Christian uh, camp. So, and what is the the main point? The main point is he's saying that uh, mutations are overwhelmingly damaging to the information in the DNA. And instead of being this engine that moves evolution forward and moves the species getting more and more uh, uh, or better and better and, and, and more complicated and, and improved, in actuality, uh, the information is decaying away and it's overwhelming the DNA with all the mutations that keep getting added. And, and that this is widely accepted yeah, he he said it was widely accepted amongst uh, geneticists, and that leading geneticists, um, it's a kind of a trade secret because although they talk about it and they're very concerned about it, they don't write about it. They don't talk to the press about it. Well, it's that's because it's part of the uh, the dogma of academia that evolution is where the truth is. But the fact of the matter is all of the leading geneticists who do know the facts realize that uh, all of these uh, genetic mutations are leading inexorably to the decline of the human race as well as all other species, Keith. Right, yeah. It's, uh, you know, he wrote his book about human, uh, the human genome, but uh, it also includes all 
forms of life. For a while, they thought that perhaps single-celled life forms might be exempt from this decay, but uh, it was proved and published in Nature magazine last year in 07 uh, that it does include single-celled life forms. And this is a very disturbing thought, really, that all of life is decaying away to nothing, that, that, that everything will eventually go extinct, all life forms, including bacteria. You know, I, I read that uh, someplace uh, else. Uh, in fact, it's the number one uh, bestseller book on the world's best-selling book list year after year after year. What's that? How the uh, the world will end as we know it. Oh. <laughs> and uh, um, this was actually uh, written um, in the Bible yep. years ago. Yep. But for those of us who grew up with lots of science fiction stories about how things are getting better and better and all life will improve and everything's getting better, it's a little bit of a disturbing story to know that uh, there's so much evidence, but... The one thing it does do is it proves evolution is false. Yes, and 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 folks, this this man, Dr. Sanford, um, <clears throat> has written over eighty research articles and has over thirty patents in the field of genetic research. Mm-hmm. So this man is not somebody uh, that the scientific community can just kind of uh, cast off as as a renegade who's lost his mind. Right. And he, and he was quoting several other geneticists uh, in the interview. He talked about uh, Dr. Muller, who said that uh, if you only had one mutation per generation, then you go to eventual extinction. So as each uh, parent organism gives birth to children, let's say they have 10 children, uh, if there's an average of one mutation in those offspring, then natural selection cannot select away because it it kills off a few of them. Let's say natural selection kills off five of them. We've still got five offspring that have an average of one mutation. And then they have offspring, so now you have an average of two each. Let's say that each of them have ten, and then natural selection wipes away half of those. And again, down the line, you keep seeing that each generation you add one more mutation and then another one and then another one and then another one. So time is not your friend in this case. You know, for evolution, time is the friend. Time heals everything. And you can go from a microbe to a microbiologist if you just have enough time. But in this case, in the reality that we found where uh, mutations are building and building and building. Time is actually your enemy. The longer you live, the more likely you are to die of cancer. The longer the society or the um, uh, species lives, the, lo- the more likely it is to go extinct. And one of the things that I wanted to reinforce, Keith, just from a medicine perspective, is that all of the genetic defects that I've read about uh, in the medical texts that I was raised on in medical school, as well as the scientific publications that I I get uh, on a weekly basis in the office, all of those genetic defects invariably lead to disease, Mm -hmm. deformity, or death. Invariably. Every genetic defect that we try to treat has its basis in a mutation. Right, right. So, so we are carrying a burden. Each of us has a burden of mutations that 
were given to us by our parents. And according to Dr. Sanford, that runs in the range of tens of thousands. And uh, another source that I uh, heard from said about up to about a million. So if you use that as a range, ten, tens of thousands to a million mutations in your DNA, and you're adding... Now, he mentioned that it's at least 100 and probably more. In his book, he tries to uh, find an average from other geneticists and, and things, and a low estimate is 300 to 600 new mutations being added every generation. And the key here also, Keith, is that these mutations allow for um, damaged information so that whatever information is transmitted to the next um, generation is not correct. Uh, this, these mutations never lead to new information or good information, which is right. what we've historically been taught in evolution. Right. Like uh, the Encyclopedia Britannica, you can't improve it by making spelling errors and just randomly changing letters around and expect to get more information that way. Well, we thank you, everyone, for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for part two of the interview with Dr. Sanford. And remember that the best reason for being a Christian is because it's true.